Amen. One of those brothers that I deeply respect is going to preach, not to us, but with us today. So uh, we have one of our friends who has been here before, but if you are newer, you may have not heard him preach before. Phil Allen Jr. is a friend, a brother. Uh, he used to pastor a church called Own Your Faith uh, many moons ago, and you still remain the one brother who has invited me the most to return to preach at your church. I think it was six times. So, I mean, if, if you preach somewhere once and they invite you a second time, that's like a miracle. But then a third time, a fourth time, a fifth, and a sixth time. So thank you, brother, for sharing the power of your pulpit. Phil is a man of integrity, a man who loves God, a man who loves Jesus. He is also a spiritual father to many. He is a doctoral student at Fuller Seminary, and you can tell more about that if you would like. He is the author of his second book called The Prophetic Lens, The Camera and Black Moral Agency. A bunch of y'all went to the reading at Romans Bookstore last week. Was it good? Then clap for it. Come on now. It was very good, Ms. Glendar says. It was very good. So if you are able to buy The Prophetic Lens, his first book is Open Wounds, second book is Prophetic Lens. And one thing that I know my brother does is he's, he's a truth teller. He's a truth teller. He tells the truth as he sees it. You, uh, you need this book in your hands and also open wounds. And today he's going to preach to us. We're in the middle of the story of the spirit. And today he's going to preach to us about the spirit of liberation. So this is your home. We're just inviting familia into the familia. So come on up, my brother, and thank you for bringing us the word today. Good morning, or is it after evening, <laughs> afternoon? Yeah, I'm thinking old. Yeah, forgive me. <sighs> Let me catch my breath because this is way more emotional than I anticipated today. So if I get emotional, give me a minute. So happy Father's Day to my brothers. Happy Father's Day. I, I posted this. I'm just going to share this, what I posted today. To those who have lost a dad, I grieve with you. To those who have estranged relationships with their fathers and today is hard, I see you. To those who have lost a child and wish you could hear or see them today, I'm thinking about you. To the father figures out there, I thank you. Someone called me spiritual father this week. <laughs> I wasn't prepared for that. <laughs> I prefer uncle, big brother. <laughs> but um, I'm grateful to have that type of relationship in their lives. Um, I posted Happy Father's Day to my father for the first time today. Yeah, that was a breakthrough for me. I always wish people Happy Father's Day. I call my father in the last few years. I call him on Father's Day, but I never say it publicly. And God had been dealing with me for years about honoring my father. So I'm just going to go ahead and share this. Even though, as my pastor would say, my old pastor, Bishop Omar, would say, we have a short time to go. I have a, a long way to go and a short time to get there. But I got to share this. Um, which I lost, just lost my train of thought. 
Anyway, um, where was I going with this? And I'm not embarrassed by this either. I just, I just forgot. What was I going to I just read the post. I got I to gotta share this. So, here we go. <laughs> Many years ago, I was preaching in high school ministry, and I was getting ready to preach on the Ten Commandments. And the night before, in the shower, the Lord convicted me, and this, this thought came into my head, um, you can't preach that text because you don't honor your father. But I've forgiven my dad, God. I've, I've forgiven him. We're, we're, we're good, right? You don't speak well of him to others. I had forgiven my father. I had been working on loving my father. But that day is when I realized I don't honor my father. If someone came in contact with my dad, they would, ha they would think negatively about him based on the things that I've said. Because I've only talked about the negative things that he's done in my life as a child and growing up. And that was the day that I began to honor my dad, to speak well of him. But so today, to post the post publicly, to simply say Happy Father's Day to my father for the first time was a breakthrough for me to honor him. Amen. And then I call him, and we talk, and we laugh. And then I tell him I'm proud of him. And then he says, he's proud of me. And he said that before. But I guess the kid in me still needs to hear it. So dads, please don't withhold that. No matter how old we get, I'm proud of you. You're special. I love you. Because there was a time when I hated my father. I wanted nothing to do with him. I did not want to be like my father. And I worked and I worked and I worked to not be like my father. You know how we work and work and work so hard to be like God? God ain't asked us for all that work. He asked us to be in relationship with Christ. Let the Holy Spirit do the work. But I worked to not be like my father. And I thought I was free of that. I was in this space where I'm free. Whew, I'm not like him. I don't do those things. I did some of it, but I didn't do all of it. <laughs> and then somebody in my family said, you know what? You're just like your daddy. And it set me back. This mixed messaging I, I got from someone who was projecting their pain and hostility onto me, took me out of this space of freedom and liberation from what I was trying to escape and tried to pull me back into it with this oppressive statement, which turned out to be a lie. I thought I was free of the label that I had been wrestling with for years. Until I got this mixed message. 
Someone of authority in my life, someone familiar in, to, to me was speaking a lie to, to, to cloud the truth of what God had already spoken to me. And I had to tell them that day, you don't have the power to speak that over me anymore because God has said this about me. Yeah. And they've never said it to me since. But it put me in this liminal space for a moment. Am I, am I displaying something that I don't recognize? Am I demonstrating something to others that is reminding them of my father who I'm trying not to be like? What's going on? So I found myself in this liminal space, this in-between. This sermon is really about mixed messaging in the liminal spaces of our lives. And all of us have them. Every one of us have, sometimes it feels like we're forever in a liminal space. Like we get out of a space and everything seems to be good and we're right back into another in-between space. Like that's life, right? The space in between affirmation and condemnation. And so for some of you, you're going to hear this message and it's going to be personal for you. It's going to apply to your personal life. And for some, you're going to see it in, in a, in through a lens of a, a social context. And that's okay too. We think about Juneteenth. 1865, getting the message that you're free. But Lincoln drafted the Emancipation Proclamation in the summer of 1862. And he held on to it for six months as a military strategy until 1863. And then for two years, there were a group of people who were actually free, but they weren't. Unaware that they're in a liminal space. Legally, you are free, you are liberated, but technically you're not. I grieve for those who experience continued trauma for those two years. I grieve for those who experienced the trauma for the six months that Lincoln withheld the Emancipation Proclamation for military purposes. I grieve those enslaved in the northern states where the Emancipation Proclamation didn't apply to them. Imagine the continued trauma in that space, but they got good news. It was literally something like out of a Bible, out of the Bible. In the Old Testament, when, when, when a battle was being fought, the, 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 the soldiers, the, they would, the warriors, they would still be fighting. They were still thinking the battle was, was still going on until someone came. Beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. The reason why the feet were beautiful because they were coming with this news that the battle is already won. You can stop fighting now. This is literally what happened. Imagine being in Galveston, Texas, and you're still working because you still have the, 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 the status in your mind that you're, you're, you're a slave. You're not free. And someone comes with beautiful feet on a beautiful horse. You can stop working now. You're free. That's a word for somebody. Did you hear me? Miss Mother, did you, did you hear Mother Lunar? Listen to me. Someone or some of us 
are working and working and working to please God. See, I just made that transition from Juneteenth to your personal lives. You ain't know how I got there. I just got there. You're working and you're working and working to please God. And you're free. You're good. Jesus did the work. I need someone to sit with that for a moment. You think that coming to church today is what pleases God. I got it. I did it. I'm in church today. And God is already pleased with you. Right? The spirit, I want to talk to you about the spirit of oppression versus the spirit of liberation. In that space, that liminal space where two exist. There are times when the spirit of oppression is proactive. But there are times when it is reacting to liberating forces. There are times when the spirit of oppression and those who operate in it may look like liberation. Sometimes there is a waiting period of days, weeks, months, or years to discern the spirit of God. The spirit of oppression is familiar to humanity, and it certainly predates the Civil War. It has a long history. Let's go back to Exodus. Exodus 14, where Pharaoh has already said they're free to go. He had already said to Moses, Moses had been relentless in his, 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 his pursuit to get freedom for his people. And Pharaoh had released them. They're free to go. The Israelites are now in the wilderness. Technically, they're free, but actually they're not. Because Pharaoh's heart had changed. The scripture says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. However you want to look at that, there was a change of mind. And Pharaoh then came after the people who were free, but not quite. And he goes after them and God, the spirit of God, meets them in that space. And God parts the Red Sea. The waters form this wall. They walk through on dry land. And Pharaoh comes through. Now, I don't know if, about, about you, but if it was me and I see water on the sides like that, I'm probably going to pause. Let's see what happens before I walk through there. Because I don't see nothing holding it up. I don't see a dam or anything holding that water up. But Pharaoh just walks on through and God swallows them up with the water and kills them. But the, the point is, they were free but not quite. And the people saw Pharaoh coming behind them. The spirit of oppression and its agents were in pursuit. I think about Nehemiah. Nehemiah got released by the king to go and rebuild the wall and rebuild the city of Jerusalem. It had been in ruins. But what happens? They get there. They have the plans, the freedom. Everything is good. We're going to rebuild this thing. But there are Sambalat and Tobiah began to resist. And they were literally were plotting to kill them. They had gotten 
the word from the king to go and rebuild the gates, rebuild the city walls. But the spirit of oppression was in pursuit. Now, ultimately, God, by the grace of God, it didn't stop them from rebuilding that wall. But that spirit was there. I think about in the New Testament where Paul writes in, in Romans 3.28, we hold that uh, one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. But then, so, so when someone hears that message, wait, wait a minute, I don't have to do all these 400 plus laws to, to please God? Because I can't do it anyway, but you mean I really don't have to do it now? We're, there's a freedom in knowing that. But these Judaizers came behind Paul's message. And said, yeah, you, can, you accept Christ, but you still got to the, perform the law. Wait a minute, mixed messaging. Wait, 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 wait. Are we free or are we not free from the law? Am I still in bondage to, to having to do these things? Or, or is it just relationship with Christ? Which is it? That liminal space. That oppressive spirit still in pursuit, even as the message of liberation is going forth. In the midst of these examples were lies, hostility, oppression, and the relentless pursuit of power structures to exploit and or annihilate the seemingly powerless. The spirit of oppression and its agents are as relentless as the Holy Spirit and her agents. But the Holy Spirit pursues to continue the work of making us whole and of liberating us from sin in general and from structures of sin invented by human imagination and depravity. Though the liminal spaces where we sense and or desire freedom and, and not quite experiencing freedom is where the spirit meets us. I don't know what I just said. Forgive me. I should have edited that. But by freedom, I mean the ability to live out the fullness of our humanity. So when I talk about freedom, the ability for us to live out the fullness of our humanity. So how does God meet us in this space? Supernaturally? Practically, by God's providence, using people, places, things, events, maybe both. How do I recognize the spirit of God in that place, in that space? When am I being seduced into something that is actually detrimental to me? This is not always easy talk, an easy task. Especially since so much is relative in interpretations even of passages, peoples, actions. Let me say it again especially since so much is relative and interpretations even of passages, people's actions, and even truth is relative these days. Let me walk you through a couple of passages. And let me say this. This message is not some profound, deep stuff that you've probably never heard. Maybe it's just to encourage you, to remind you. Maybe you're in a liminal space right now and you have mixed messages. Maybe the mixed messages are in here. You have thoughts that you know what God has said. You know what your mentor has reminded you. Your, your best friend told you. But you also have other thoughts, your insecurities, or someone said something that reminded you of those insecurities. And you're wrestling on the inside, and you're in that space, that season. In John chapter 14, verse 6, do we have that? And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
No one gets to the Father except through me. Mary Maya Thompson says you can also translate that, I am the way to the truth in the life. Jesus is saying here that he is the essence of what is truth. He is the embodiment of what is truth. He is, if you want to know what truth is, he's saying, look at me. Not even so much what I say first, look at me. Let me give you an example. I wanted to understand what grace was. You hear it in church all the time. I never learned grace from a preacher. I never learned grace from studying doctrine. Seminary didn't teach me grace. My grandmother did. Grandma Vera taught me grace. Grandma Vera was the only person I could go to when I messed up. When I did some things that I wouldn't even share today, ain't none of y'all business. That's between me and Grandma Vera. And I remember, I remember sharing some things with Grandma, and Grandma, she paused. She'd take a deep breath, and I'm, I'm afraid I'm, I've just embarrassed her. I've disappointed her. I'm a grandma's boy, by the way. I don't know if you figured that out. I'm a grandma's boy, and I do not want to disappoint my grandmother. And I shared with her what I did, and she would pause. Son, are you okay? Her instincts was not to first condemn me. Her instincts was to check and see if her grandson was okay. That's grace. I learned grace, and when I eulogized her, I was able to tell everyone under the sound of my voice, I learned grace because my grandmother embodied it. She never once, and she never once uttered the words grace to me. She never once said she was teaching me anything about grace. She never once tried to show. She never once tried to do that. She lived it. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus embodies what truth is. And then he says in in John chapter 8, 31, 32, follow me. He says, if you continue, if you abide, if you are faithful in my word, You are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Jesus says, I am the truth. And he says, if you abide in me, if you abide in my word, if you are faithful to me, if you follow me, because there were disciples who did not continue following Jesus. John chapter 6. Eat eat your body and drink of your blood. Nah, I'm not with that. And they stopped following him. He says, but if you are faithful and you follow me, he says, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Listen to me. I learned this years ago from my old pastor. I keep telling people this. Truth by itself does not set you free. It's the truth that you know. It's the truth that you believe. It's the truth that you've accepted. It's the truth that you practice that sets you free. He says, if you continue in my word, if you are faithful, if you practice it, if you mimic me, he says, that truth, that is the evidence of being set free. I'm not saying works 
I'm simply saying mimicking like a child does a father. He says, this is what sets you free. Our capacity to know truth that sets us free is determined by our proximity and faithfulness to Jesus and the word of truth that he embodies and speaks. John 8, 36, if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. Say that again. Indeed. Indeed. It's an emphatic yes. It's emphasis on what he just said. You will be free in reality. Not in theory. He's saying this is not an intellectual exercise. This is not something that you just, it makes you feel good. This is what you will experience. You will experience, and listen, the experience of freedom is not a moment. The experience of freedom is a progress. I am more free today than I was a week or two ago. It's the reason why I can cry still when my father says to me, I'm proud of you. And there was a time when I wouldn't receive that word from him. But because I am sensitive, I'm, I'm a bit sensitive. Because I am sensitive and my father speaks a simple word, I am proud of you. I can receive it, right? And it brings me to, to, it moves me. Because I'm more free today than I was when I was hardened not too long ago. So freedom is a a process. And and here's the good part. It's not even your process. It's the Holy Spirit's process. I'm just in it. The Holy Spirit is always in process of freeing me, making more free. Phil, today you are freer. How did I get there? He said, don't worry about it. I did the work. And I'm still going to do the work. Listen, lastly, John, (laughs) I'm not even at my main text. John 14, 16 says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. So I want you to see the progress of where I'm going. First, Jesus says, I am the truth. Then Jesus says, if you are faithful, the truth that you know from me will set you free. Then Jesus says, when I set you free, you are free indeed. And then Jesus says here, now... I'm going to send another advocate to keep doing the work that I already started. Now, the word advocate, another, the word another is not, it's key that you understand this, it's not another of a different kind. It's another of the same kind. It doesn't make sense for Jesus to send you an advocate that's going to be contrary to his advocacy. So when Jesus says, I'm going to send you another advocate He's saying, another advocate just like me called the Holy Spirit. But catch this. The Holy Spirit, this is not a relay. There's no baton being passed to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has already been a part of the work all along that Jesus had been doing. In John, the beginning of John, it says the Spirit fell upon him and remained on him. So everything that Jesus had been doing was being done in the Spirit. So the Spirit simply continues the work that she had already been a part of. And so the Spirit comes in Luke chapter 4, verse 18. Finally, I get to my verse. I'm going to rush through this real quick. Okay, don't rush. Okay, the the pastor said don't rush. The pastor told a preacher don't rush. Y'all heard it. 
Luke 4, verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind to let the oppressed go free. First two things I want to share with you is one, the spirit has excellent memory. This is implicit. This is not so much in this text. It's just implicit. Really, it's just me wanting to say this is what I think about the Holy Spirit. implicit. The Holy Spirit has excellent memory. The reason why I say that, I want you to know that in that space, that liminal space, whether you're in it now or whether it's coming up soon, the Holy Spirit, God, remembers. God knows. I said this weekend was tough. It was tough mostly in a good way, but it's, it's, it's hard for me. Because I want to be a father. Right? And I believe God gave me that desire. And until it's taken out of my heart, I'm still trusting, right? So I don't necessarily want the consolation prize. You're like a father to me. I, I, I thank everyone else who's a father figure. That ain't my goal. Until maybe about 55, then, I'll, then we'd be good with that. <laughs> right? But God remembers. So God had, I believe the Lord had three people from my old ministry send me text messages just to say thank you for your leadership, for pastoring us. We love you. And, and we end it with forever our pastor. You are a father figure to us. And even though I don't want the consolation prize, I needed that. I needed that. The Holy Spirit has excellent memory. Number two, the Holy Spirit is attentive. It's not just that the Holy Spirit remembers you. The Holy Spirit remembers the details. Like God knows what you need when you don't even know what you need. You, you ever got something, someone said something, and it just, and, and, and it just is a, a leaping in your spirit, and you're like, ooh. Lisa, you ever got that? <laughs> Nicole, my bad. Nicole, 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 Nicole. That's an inside joke. It's an inside joke. But it's just a, a leaping on the inside, and you realize, I needed that. Man, I needed that. The Holy Spirit is attentive to the details of your circumstances. The Holy Spirit is attentive to the details of those who are unhoused. Think, think about this for a second. They're unhoused. God just doesn't want them fed. There's certain things that they need to be fed. I can't just bring any food to the unhoused. I had a woman once on Skid Row, maybe it was Santa Monica, we were serving, and she said, I can't eat that. My first inclination was, how dare she? She said, I got diabetes. 
You don't think the Holy Spirit, I'm asking myself this, you don't think the Holy Spirit cares about the details of her health? You just think that I just want her to have food? No, there is a type of food that she should have, and you can afford it. So now I ask them what do they want to eat. I don't just give whatever I have in it, and you should take it or leave it. What do you want? Because the Holy Spirit is attentive. But, But Jesus says, the Spirit of the Lord has come upon me. Two things that the Holy Spirit, these last two things, two things the Holy Spirit will do in this liminal space. The Spirit liberates by marrying and divorcing. The Spirit will marry you, one, to the word of truth. The Spirit has come upon me to bring good news, to be a herald and announce publicly good news to the poor, to those who are materially destitute, the ones who lack access to resources or the tools to acquire them. Then he says it again, a similar term, to proclaim liberty to the captives and, and, and to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind. Two things. He said to bring good news. One version uses proclaim. And then he says to proclaim to the captives, a synonym. So that's the first thing the Holy Spirit is going to do is marry you. And we already said that Jesus is the truth. So Jesus, if Jesus is going to speak and bring a word and proclaim something, it's going to be truth. And he's going to proclaim it publicly, he says. I'm going to marry you to truth. It is important that we understand how to discern truth from error. It is important for me to recognize when my ears are itching. Did you get that? Itching ears. Paul talks about in his letter to Timothy. It's important that I understand that because Jesus wants to marry me to the truth. The captives here are prisoners of war, those who have been enslaved, those abused, those trafficked. He says to to proclaim recovery of sight to the blind, both physically and mentally or intellectually blind. The ones who have been manipulated. The un or anti-woke crowd. I believe that Jesus wants to bring, wants to bring recovery of sight to the blind. The mentally blind. She cannot deceive. Because to deceive is to contradict the nature of God. Identify the spirit in every context, even when she does not align with your political ideologies. Mist and disinformation is not rooted in love. Therefore, it is not rooted in the ministry of the spirit. Lastly, first, the spirit will marry you to a word of truth. Lastly, the spirit will divorce you from that which opposes the truth. He says, I will set at liberty those who are oppressed. To set at liberty, it's to allow one to depart. It's literally to separate. I'm going to separate you from this condition, this condition that is oppressive. In this term, oppressed, crushed, 
wounded, traumatized, those whose humanity and dignity has been trampled upon. It, it really can be a political term. To set, to separate from. There is some form of bondage that infringes upon an individual or a group's capacity to experience the fullness of their humanity. And, and, and Jesus, or the Spirit, wants to separate or cut off and release one from the bondage. In the same way, same term, Isaiah 58, 6. Is not this the fast that I have chosen? To loose, separate the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, and to let the oppressed go free and break every yoke? Same term. Isaiah 10, 1. Woe to those who decree iniquitous decrees and the writers who keep, a writing, who keep writing oppression. He's addressing the legal, the political, the economic policies and laws that disadvantage based on categories like socioeconomic status, race, gender, sexual orientation, ability, age, etc. That's what he's, he's talking. This is relevant today. So I close with this. Joel, you can come up. The team can come up and play the mood music. Soundtrack. It doesn't <laughs> I close with this. Second Corinthians three seventeen. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is a Spirit of truth and liberation. Truth and liberation are inextricably tied. We all have an appetite for truth and liberation. But like food, we prefer that which seems pleasant to the taste, ideology, politics, theology, and convenient to uphold, rather than what has medicinal qualities. Yeah. Truth can sometimes taste like medicine, and lies can taste like a processed candy bar with high fructose corn syrup. <laughs> One gives us life, the other has long-term effects detrimental to our well-being. Somebody in here like high fructose corn syrup. <laughs> Lies make space for trauma. Imagine the extended period of continued trauma in those two years. Thinking about Juneteenth. And I would add in those, those two years and six months. Imagine the Israelites in the wilderness who see the Egyptians in pursuit after being told they are free. Imagine the burden that the Judaizers placed upon the shoulders, the lives of those who were hearing Paul, but wrestling with competing theologies of freedom and grace and bondage to the works of the law. Imagine emancipation, but black codes. Imagine American citizenship, but incarceration camps because your Japanese background. Imagine seeing women preachers preaching powerful messages only to see the largest denomination hold fast to denying women an equal place in God's pulpit. Imagine being told there are jobs waiting for you in another state and you board a plane with hopes of a new life only to be dropped off at a church's doorstep used as political pawns. Imagine maturing to the place of finally realizing who you are and a voice of authority or familiarity or a foreign voice speaks a word of condemnation over you only to send you back years to wrestling with identity and calling, free but not quite. 
Imagine not recognizing when you are in the midst of truth tellers who foster your liberation, but you are more familiar with the sweet tasting words of lies that you are told, that, that you are those medicinal voices of truth. I messed that up somehow. You got it? The spirit remembers you and is attentive, though we tarry. The spirit will marry you to what is truth and divorce you from what is false so that you are free and free indeed.